The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, let's get into the Word of God, shall we? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We're making our way now literally to the heart of the Gospel, to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's a very special story as as we're making our way along. Uh, The title of this message is, You Must Decide. And we're going to read about a character whose name is Barabbas. And how he, you know, found himself in the whole story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is fascinating, and what, what the significance uh, behind the events and what happened in that whole situation with Pilate making, trying to make a decision about Jesus. And I'm going to end with an invitation. Now listen, I believe that we're, we're living in some very prophetic times, and I believe that God has put the world on pause. He's got the attention of, you know, seven billion people on this planet. The whole world has kind of stopped in a moment of time. And God is using this moment. He's calling people. He's calling them to himself. So the very same gospel I heard so many years ago, when I heard about Jesus and that He loved me and that he died for me and paid for my sins and could take away my shame and guilt and that he rose from the dead, that he was God who had manifest himself in the flesh and that he resurrected and is King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's some of you that God has been setting your life up and today may be the day that you will be saved. Your life and destiny for eternity will be changed and you will receive the gift of eternal life. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, and I thank you, Lord, for today. And I thank you, and I want to pray a blessing upon everyone uh, that is listening to this particular message right now. Lord, this is your word. This is not the opinions of man. It's not our idea. It's not our story. We didn't write it. It's your story. It's the story of your love. It is a story about how you sent from heaven in eternity your son Jesus into this earth to show us the way, the truth, and the life, and that we can be saved. We can be born again. We can have hope. We can have all of our guilt and shame taken away and literally become sons and daughters of our Father in heaven and be reconciled with you and have an eternal destiny. So, Lord, I pray for them, and I pray for all my family, my brothers and sisters who know you and love you. I know that there are many that right now are in tremendously stressful times. And it sounds very easy, oh, just stay home and don't go too much and, you know, stay isolated or whatever, but it has brought tremendous Stress, And I know that there are many who are isolated, many who are lonely, uh, many, some have lost their jobs. Apparently, some 30 million people have lost their jobs. It's put stress on marriages, uh, schools that have been canceled. Uh, Lord, there's a variety of things, and of course, the enemy is trying to take advantage of that. 
for his purposes. But Lord, I know that you're ruling and reigning and sitting on the throne, and you have a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, and a word of salvation for those who are ready to hear it. So now, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray, and everyone said, amen. All right, we're going to show you some of our life lessons along the way here. Here's the, the number one, is the name Barabbas means the son of the father. So beginning in verse 15, Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, it says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they laid a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. So here's the situation. At, during the nighttime, the religious leaders, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, we saw, betrayed Jesus. They grabbed hold of Jesus, and they have now taken him. They had kind of a, a court scene justifying their illegal court during the night. And they basically, for blasphemy, that you claim that you're equal with God, now you are deserving of death. And so the Jewish people were not allowed to do capital punishment. So they need to bring him before Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor of that area of Judea. Pilate, he's not Jewish. He doesn't know the religious laws and, you know, all of these prophetic things. And he's looking for a way of escape. And Pilate realized, hey, you know, this is a prophet. I've heard he's miraculous and he, he does things according to the Jewish religion, uh, he, but he's a controversial figure. But we Romans have a custom that every year, Rome was dominating over the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem, and they knew that the feast of Passover Jews from all over Judea and all over north, south, east, and west had to be in Jerusalem. And there was always the danger there would be a rebellion, a war would break out uh, against the Romans. And so as a show of good faith, they said every year at Passover, we're going to take some really bad criminal, and Rome is going to show how compassionate we are, and we're going to release him. So that's the idea that Pilate has in mind to get out. Of, I don't want to deal with a prophet or this guy named Jesus. So Pilate judging already there was something different about Jesus, even innocent about Jesus. Pilate was hoping that this custom that they apparently had of releasing a prisoner would help solve the problem. Hey, I'll, I'll just give to you Jesus and release him. Now, in verse 16, we read that it was a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. All right? He, he was an insurrectionist. He has committed murder. And he was something like a revolutionary terrorist. This was the guy that's going to grab swords, start killing Roman soldiers, and try to get all of Israel to follow him and rebelling and going to war against Rome. Now, here's what's interesting. His name, 
The name Barabbas means son of the father. Now, if you know Hebrew, the, the word Abba means father in Hebrew. Abba, that's what Abbas means. And Bar in Hebrew means son. So Bar Abba is literally the son of the father. So look at this. Now Pilate, in his own mind, is thinking, hey, I, I can offer to them this guy that's a murder insurrectionist. He's going to bring rebellion. He's murdered people. He's a revolutionary. He's a bad guy. Or I can release to them Jesus, uh, the prophet. Uh, many of the people think that he's their Messiah. So how there, there's no coincidence in the Bible that the, the, the choice that Pilate is now drawn into the whole story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, things that have been prophesied literally from the book of Genesis, going back to Abraham himself, over 300 prophecies, and now here is this Gentile Roman governor who's literally drawn into the story of Jesus. And he has this way. Oh, so we've got Barabbas, the son of the father, and Jesus, the Christ. And who did Jesus say he was? I am the son of my father in heaven. Jesus, I love this, was always talking about the father. As you read through the Gospels, Jesus could not stop talking about his Abba. He said, I go where my Abba tells me to go. I say what my father tells me to say. I've been praying, guys, all night long up on the mountain, and the father has shown me where we should go today, what we should do, what we should say. The relationship, it's almost like Jesus could not stop talking about the father, and his whole purpose was, I want to introduce you to our father who art in heaven. He taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. It's so beautiful. Jesus was obsessed with lifting up, honoring, glorifying, sanctifying, showing his love and adoration for his Father. At the same time, when you do see and hear from the Father, all he wants to talk about is his Son. Have you seen my Son? Have you heard my Son? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful and precious? A son who is so in love with and adoring and honoring the father, a father who adores and honors the son. Do you realize this is what God has brought into the basis? This is the kingdom of God. It's a family. It is one of love. It is one of unity. And now that we could be brought into this, but here you have Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, the son of the father, and the other son of the father, Barabbas, a murderer, an innocent man and a murderer. Who will you choose, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ or the Messiah? And then in verse 18, look at verse 18. We just read, for Pilate realized it was only for envy that Jesus had been delivered. That's an interesting thing to observe. Pilate, he's not a religious guy. He is a Gentile. But even he was able to see and perceive into this religious dispute. 
And I don't, I'm sure that Pilate did not have an in-depth understanding of the ancient Hebrew prophets and ways and so forth, but he was able to discern, you guys that are after him, it's all about envy. And in many ways, that was true. Jesus had won the hearts of the people. He had won the hearts of the multitude. And they were envious. And they were jealous. But that envy and that jealousy had so twisted them that they literally wanted to have Jesus put to death. So let's go on with the story, uh, in beginning in verse 19. I want you to look at this. It says, And while he, Pilate, was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And I want to just show this highlight or life lesson. God speaks sometimes through dreams. This, this is all through the Bible, and, and especially when there are tumultuous times. We, we read in the Old Testament in the story of Joseph. He, Joseph was a man highly favored of God, Joseph with his coat of many colors, and God communicated divinely and supernaturally to Joseph in dreams. And the prophet Joel talked about in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon the men and upon the women. He talks about even the old and the young. But what does that mean, that God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh? What are the signs that God is pouring out his spirit? And one of them is prophesying, but one of them is dreams that God gives dreams. So now in the story of Jesus of Nazareth, as he has now come to this situation before a Roman governor who thinks he's got a way out, we release a prisoner once a year. Surely they will pick Jesus of Nazareth. But no, they're going to go the other way with Barabbas. And now interesting, it says in verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. So Pilate is like the judge, a judge sitting behind their bench, getting ready to bang the gavel and make a verdict. And here is Pilate. He has not yet really given justice to Jesus. And the reality is, Pilate is going to totally blow it. He's going to do the opposite of justice. He had all the evidence he needed to do the right thing and set Jesus free. And there was a part of him that wanted to, but as we know in the end of the day, he did not. He saw the strength and the dignity of Jesus. And Pilate knew, even though he didn't know all about uh, the whole story of Jesus or maybe the beliefs of a Messiah, he knew the man standing before him is not a criminal. This Yeshua of Nazareth is not a criminal worthy of death. He's not some political revolutionary. He knew that it was no, there was no just charge against him. He also knew, inside and out, Jesus was an innocent man. He knew that Jesus was a man of peace. And in fact, 
Jesus was so at peace in front of the judge that he didn't even answer one of Pilate's questions because he had absolute confidence that he was righteous and holy as he stood before Pilate. And in addition to all of these things, so here's Pilate sitting in the judge's bench and ready to make a decision and give a verdict. And Pilate has the most remarkable, unique messenger. You know how sometimes you follow some of these shows on TV and there's a judge and one makes a case and another is trying to make a defense and then suddenly somebody comes through the door and they come running up. There's something new, new, new that will bear on this case. And the judge says, all right, wait a minute. Let's see. What is it? Who are you? Okay, now I give you permission. Bring it forth. Pilate also had a open the door, last minute, moment, opportunity, a remarkable messenger that went out of her way to go to her husband while she knew he was on the bench. It was his wife. And it was a dream that his wife had had. Now, the Bible does not tell us what the dream was. But whatever dream that it was had shaken her to the core of her being so that when she was done with it, she was in anguish. She was tormented, if you might say, emotionally from this dream. She had awakened and was startled by the dream, afraid because of what she discovered in the dream and amazed. My husband is about to do something that is so wrong that I don't, I'm losing all decorum. You get this message to my husband. Have nothing to do with this holy, righteous, just man. Do not bring harm to him. Now, most dreams, you know, we all dream, supposedly, and, uh, you know, I dream a lot, but I forget most of my dreams. I'm sure you all dream and you forget a lot of dreams. A few of us, you know, we, we remember occasionally a dream every now and again. But it seems like all of us in the course of a life may have one dream or maybe a couple of dreams that are so real and, and they're so powerful, you remember them for the rest of your life. I have, a, I have one, when, when I was studying this, getting ready for this, thinking about this lady had this dream that I'm sure she never forgot that dream the rest of her life, even after the trial, after her husband doesn't listen to her, after the story of the resurrection of Jesus. I wonder if the wife who had that dream might have eventually been convinced that the dream was a message to her to open her heart to the very man her husband had condemned, and maybe we would see Pilate's wife in heaven. I don't know. I would hope so. But I have one dream that I remember. It's the, this one that was so real, so vivid, and I woke up uh, afraid, uh, and I've never forgotten it. That was the kind of dream Pilate's wife had. A dream so disturbing, she broke protocol, sent a message to her husband, literally, while he was sitting on the bench. Now, as I think about this, you know, here's a man getting ready to make a, a decision with eternal consequences. His wife is speaking to him, and what she says is not just a dream. That dream came from the Spirit of God. It was something that he would regret, not only for the rest of his life, but maybe for eternity. 
And as I think about this, you know, I think about how uh, me as a husband, many times God speaks to me through my wife. Sometimes he speaks to me through uh, my wife's dreams. And I got to say this to husbands. Husbands, we need to listen to our wives. And sometimes for me, and you know, the years that Vicky and I have been married and she will speak to me uh, and bring something to me. And what I realize now is that in many ways, the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of my wife sound very similar at times <laughs> because God's Holy Spirit is using her to speak to me. I believe that God's Holy Spirit was speaking to her husband, Pilate, in that hour. He had a chance. He had an opportunity. God was reaching out to him. But as we will see, Pilate did not listen to his wife. He did not take the counsel of warning from his wife's dream. But let's go on to the next part of the story in verses 20 and 21. And I want to just, here's the life lesson. The voice of the crowd is not always the voice of God. So looking now in verses 20 and 21, after she comes in, she uh, says, you know, what she says, this is have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. So I think they were afraid, hey, this is the wife. She has influence on Pilate. They said, we need to do something. So the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Pilate has just said, I'm going to give you a choice. And in his mind, it should be pretty easy, pretty obvious. Jesus, uh, whom many of you believe is the Messiah, has done miracles, him or this murderer over here, Barabbas. So the chief priests are going, no, if we let the people weigh in on this, they're going to be for Jesus. Though they did not all understand or comprehend him or believe in him because of his miracles, there were many that were very sympathetic toward him. So they said, we needed to drown them out. And they raised a noise and a crowd and a multitude that became like a screaming mob. And in verse 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. The religious leaders knew the best way to influence Pilate was not through his own judgment of Jesus, not through his wife, and not even from the religious leaders themselves. They'd already weighed in, and that hadn't convinced him. So what did they do now? The best way, they believed, to push Pilate to go a way that he did not intuitively want to go was through the multitude to raise up, if I might describe it, a mob. They started yelling, screaming, that they wanted him executed, Yeshua. It was peer pressure. And all of a sudden, the whole courtroom changes, and those who are leading the screaming and the yelling and, and the vehemence that was coming out of their mouths, no, not Barabbas, we want Yeshua, or we want actually Barabbas to be released instead of Yeshua. And so they're yelling and screaming through this peer pressure. Here is Pilate. What's he going to do now? He knows the right thing to do. He knows 
in so many different ways, he's been convinced of the innocence of Jesus, confirmed by his wife. And yet look what happens. Pilate will do the wrong thing. He will do a terrible thing in obedience to a mob. So I just want to say this, that when there are times of pressure and there is a multitude that can turn into a yelling, screaming mob, the multitude is not always the voice of God. The mob did not answer Pilate's request. He said, well, you know, what evidence do you have? What evil has he done? He said, show me something. You haven't, you've given to me this religious thing about his saying that he is the Messiah. But what evil has he done? They never answered him. They never gave him any evidence. They never gave him any proof. They just screamed and yelled, no, we want to release Barabbas, not Yeshua. They yelled, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Now here is what, what is interesting. You know, where was Barabbas during this whole thing? We don't know. We are not told. We, there is a place where the, which in Jerusalem called the Antonio Fortress, which was the Roman garrison that the ruins from 2,000 years ago are still there to this day. When we go to Israel, we visit that place, and they, it was the place where prisoners were tried. It was where Rome could look over the whole Temple Mount with their Roman garrison, and that's where they would have trials. That's where they would make decisions. That's where they ruled with an iron fist over Israel. And it's possible that in a cell was Barabbas, and that Barabbas knew, they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. He, he doesn't know all the details of the courtroom scene, and there's Jesus, and there is Pilate sitting in the bench ready to make a decision, and then word comes from Pilate's wife, don't do anything to this holy, just, righteous man. And then Pilate's saying, well, what evil has he done? And they just start screaming, no, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. What if all of a sudden Barabbas hears? They're yelling my name. Maybe that means they're going to drag me out of here and crucify me. That's where he was headed. And in fact, it may have been Barabbas' cross that was then changed from Barabbas to now being taken by Jesus. Literally, Barabbas is the story of all of us. All, you know, we can say, oh, he's a bad guy. But I'm not as bad as maybe Barabbas was. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In, in reality, in our hearts, we are as deserving of death and as guilty as Barabbas himself. And what if, what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what went through Barabbas' mind. He thought, this is, this is my last day. This is my last meal. This, now they're yelling and screaming my, my name. And the next thing you know, there's a prison guard who opens the door and says, Barabbas, you are set free. What would have gone on in Barabbas' mind? What? His whole life he had been thinking, you know, up until this moment, I'm going to die, I'm going to be this horrible death and cruel crucifixion. What? As he is finally let out, I don't know, where did he go? And then as they begin explaining somebody to him, hey, you know how every year they release one? Well, there was, 
You know, you've heard of Yeshua of Nazareth, the miracle worker, controversial. Some believe he's the Messiah. He was brought by the religious leaders. And Pilate said, I can't find any fault within him. But they screamed that they wanted him to be put to death. And then Pilate said, but every year we release one to you. So Barabbas, they, they offered, Pilate was offering Jesus to be released. The healer, the miracle worker, the prophet. But the people cried out. The mob screamed, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And therefore, you're not, you're not going to die today. You're not going to be crucified Maybe even it was Barabbas' very cross that is now given to Jesus as he is scourged and as he makes his way to be crucified. The story of Barabbas in many ways, that's us. We were doomed. We were done. We were ready to be put to death and separated from God for all of eternity. And I just wonder what that did. We have no idea. We don't know what happened with Barabbas, what he did, knowing that, realizing that. I wonder if he spent the rest of his life wanting to learn about Jesus of Nazareth, who was put to death in my place. Brothers and sisters, that is the story of the gospel. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. I want you to go to verse 22, and I want this, this verse to just be all by itself. Because right up until now, and I, here's the life lesson, Pilate's decision, because Pilate makes a decision. I think you know what that decision is. Did not determine the destiny of Jesus. What it determined was his own destiny. We read in verse 22, Pilate then said to the mob, the multitude who are screaming, crying, Barabbas, Barabbas, release Barabbas. Pilate responded, what then shall I do with Yeshua, Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate was, well, now what am I going to do with the innocent man? What am I going to do with the man who has done nothing wrong? The only things I've heard about him are the miracles that he has done. And that there are many of you, Jewish people, who believe he is the Messiah. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ, which means Messiah? You know what? That's a very interesting question. It's a question not limited to Pilate. It's a question every single one of us must face. Every one of us must make the same kind of decision that Pilate made. You, listen, every one of you who are watching, every one of you who are listening, must decide what are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ, who is called the Messiah. And I want you to know you can't escape it. Jesus does not allow us any neutrality. He said, he that is not for me is against me. It's not good enough if you say, well, look, I believe Jesus was, he lived. He's a real historical character and because not only the Bible talks about him, Josephus and other history, he really lived, he really existed. He must have been amazing. Uh, and and he, he was, I believe he was a good man. Maybe the best man that ever lived. He was a prophet even. But I don't know that he's 
God in flesh or that he is the only way or uh, you're, you're trying to you know, balance it out and figure it out and be somewhere in the middle. That is not possible. Jesus did not leave you that option. Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father unless he comes through me. And then Jesus said, if you're not for me, with me, believing and trusting in me as your Savior, then you are against me. You can't be neutral. And I believe that God is right now. He's got the whole world on a pause button, and he is, this is a moment for an eternal destiny, and the choice will be made by what you decide about who is Jesus of Nazareth. You cannot escape it. Therefore, you must decide what are you going to do with Jesus. Either you're going to believe in him, that he is who he claimed to be, the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, who didn't just begin when he was born in Bethlehem as a baby, but he said, I come from heaven. I come from eternity. I left heaven and came here to the earth. Either you believe in him or you do not believe in him. Either you accept him or you reject him. Either you confess that he is who he claimed to be and has the power he claimed to have, which is to rise from the dead as he predicted and prophesied, on the third day I will rise from the dead. And that proves I am who I claim to be and I have the power I claim to have. I can forgive your sins, but you need to repent and ask forgiveness and invite me to come into your heart and life. So either confess or deny. The interesting thing about Pilate's decision is that in the end, it had nothing to do with the destiny of Jesus Christ. It looks like in that trial, well, Pilate is the judge, I have the gavel, I have my bench, I have all the power, uh, there's Jesus standing before him, I am able to determine your destiny. No, Pilate's decision had nothing to do with the destiny of Jesus Christ. For what Jesus was about to do by going to the cross, by being rejected, by being betrayed, by being crucified, by being buried, and then on the third day rising from the dead, that was already going to happen. That was already part of God's plan. It had already been prophesied that the Messiah would come and be crucified for the sins of the whole world. The cross was inevitable. The crucifixion was inescapable. And in fact, no matter what Pilate did, the crucifixion was going to happen. It was inescapable. According to God's foreknowledge, the crucifixion took place. In fact, we read this in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It says, the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Do you realize what that means? That means before God even created the heavens and the earth, before God created man, before he created Adam and Eve, let alone the beautiful planet that we call earth, God already knew before the foundations of the earth were laid, I'm going to have to send my son from heaven to that earth and to be crucified and then to rise from the dead on the third day. Therefore, Pilate's decision 
did not determine the destiny of Jesus Christ. What was determined by Pilate's decision was his own destiny. So even as you sit in judgment of who Jesus is, the judgment you make will have no effect upon Jesus Christ. He is who he claims to be, but it will determine your destiny. So you have to read his words, read the Gospels, and you judge in your own heart whether Jesus is the Son of God or not, whether he's a liar, if you can come to that conclusion, or a fraud, or if in fact, no, no man could say the things Jesus said. No man could do the things that Jesus did unless he was the Savior, the Son of God that came from heaven to die on the cross and rise from the dead. We read in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Read that again. As many as received him. That means, Jesus, I accept you for who you say you are. I believe in you as you proclaim that you have the power you claim to have. I am trusting in you, my eternal life and future, and everything that I have and that I am. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You can be born again and become a son of God. You can be born again and become a daughter of God and become part of his family for all time and for all of eternity. The Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God the Father so loved the world that he gave from heaven his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him and trust in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, let's look at the last few verses of this story. And this is not so much a life lesson as just a fact and a reality. As they cried out, finally, his blood be on us and on our children. In verse 23, they, they all said to him, let him be crucified. And then the governor, there's Pilate, he said, Why? What evil has he done? He's already lost the fight now. He's given in to the mob, but he's still trying to say, do you have any evidence? They had none. So what was their response? Did they provide any, even one evil deed that Jesus had done? No, they cried out all the more. When you don't have facts, just scream louder, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. I mean, it, it was like a riot's ready to break out. Blood's going to flow. I'm going to be held responsible. I'm going to get in trouble. All of a sudden, Pilate went into a whole different thing, and he took water. Now listen to this. He took water out. I believe he was probably mad because he's being pushed in a way that he didn't like or want to be pushed, but he took water, and he washed his hands before the multitude. And he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So I want you to realize <laughs> Jesus is proclaimed innocent. He's proclaimed innocent 
by his enemies. He was proclaimed innocent by the one who betrayed him. He is innocent by the very one who made the judgment. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Here's what Pilate said. He said, it's out of my control now. Personally, I wish Jesus no harm, but I wash my hands of this. These things happen. And yet, the power and the responsibility of what to do with Jesus rested with him. Saying, I find no fault in him, is not enough. Washing his hands was meaningless. You can't wash your hands of Jesus. You can't say, well, on the one hand, I like this about him. On the other hand, I don't like that about him. You have to take him as he is. You can't wash your hands of him. And so finally, they screamed out, let his blood. You think he's innocent? No, you let his blood be on us and on our children. Now here, sadly, it's been that phrase that they used because they were, they were not all of the Jewish people. They were some of them. They were not all of the religious leaders. They were some of them. But they said, his blood be on us and even our children. And sadly, there are many throughout church history have used that to say, see, that's why God rejected the Jewish people, killed Jesus, rejected the Messiah, the curse came upon them, and it can never be rescinded, etc., etc. Well, that's not true, <laughs> That is not true at all, because the truth of the matter is, it wasn't just the Jewish people who put Jesus to death, it was Rome. They, didn't, they couldn't wash their hands of it. It was Roman soldiers, it was Gentiles, as well as Jews. It, the whole world is guilty. The whole world is responsible. Yes, in 70 AD, the Romans did come in. Israel lost her city, her country, they lost the temple, it was destroyed, and it broke Jesus' heart. He wept over it. But here's an interesting thing. As we shall read, as we go further into the story, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, what did he pray? For those who had pierced him and those who had rejected him, and even the Jewish people, let alone the Roman soldiers who were their father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In many ways, saying his blood be upon us, you realize that's how we get forgiven, is through the blood of the Messiah, the blood of Jesus. His blood be on us and on our children. I believe that's one of the reasons Paul could write to the church of Rome, that all Israel shall be saved. And what that ultimately means, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But I know part of what it means is by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Messiah, by the blood of Jesus. Yes, his blood upon us means we have been forgiven. And all who will come to him and all who will receive him shall be saved forever and ever. I want to close with a, a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah who is prophesying 700 years into the future 
when Jesus has finally come to the cross. And I want you to think about now, look at these words, how divine, how anointed, how spiritual, how supernatural. This can only be God and his word and his prophecy. And it can only be Jesus. As Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs. Now, our. Isaiah is Jewish. He is a Jewish prophet. He's looking at the Messiah who is under tremendous grief. And he's, he's looking, as it were, prophetically in the future of the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we, even the Jewish people, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, he's looking into the future and the Jewish people seeing Jesus, even on the cross, always oh, been stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And, and so he goes on in the next verse, Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yes, for the world, but first for the Jewish people, our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The last verse, verse 6, all we like sheep. Now this would be not only the Jewish people, but it would be the Gentiles, every nation, language, kindred, and tribe. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The whole world is guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.